0: Coming up in this podcast, business failures, Hancock's $1 billion profit, UWA's $450 million deal, Pilbara Mine Camp merger, the taxi levy and commercial construction.
1: Welcome to Mark My Words, the weekly podcast from Business News with Mark Panel and Mark Buyer discussing the important business news and data stories from Western Australia.
0: Welcome to our weekly podcast. Now Mark, before we start, this weekend marks 15 years at Business News For You. Uh, now I'm taking you a bit by surprise here, but congratulations. Um, I just did a quick uh, look in our in our archive using the BNIQ search engine. 4,202 stories as we speak right now. No doubt there'll be a little bit more <laughs> uh, very soon. Uh, and I went back to that moment in November 2002 when you started and uh, you obviously did a banking feature. First up was, uh, was where you hit and you did a story, an analysis of Clough, which was then a listed company, uh, which you said acted more like a family business, which in fact it had evolved from. So I thought that was kind of fascinating. And to be fair, obviously, you've got some articles before that time because you were a bit of a contributor to us writing sort of personal investment stuff. But, but 15 years ago, well, to the day, was when you started. So congratulations. Well, thank you very much
1: and well look, that's quite telling because you know, before I joined my background was as a banking journalist uh, but you know 15 years writing about business in Perth not much banking these days a lot more mining and resources and lots of other things
0: yeah, absolutely. it's been a good journey it's been fun thanks very much for raising that <laughs> and one of those banking stories was about how they were going to deal with the housing downturn you know so it's kind of fascinating it was all that post uh, post the tech wreck post uh, 9-11, it was kind of a difficult period if you remember, and it's, it's, uh, you just think about two or three years later, the landscape had changed so much. Anyway, enough of the reminiscing. Let's focus on what's happening now. Now last week we saw the failure of Go Marine Group in the oil and gas sector. This week we have a couple of other notable administrations.
1: Yeah, and look, this might be a bit of a glum way to kick off, but I think it's instructive to look at some of these business failures and see what we can learn from them. Uh, Go Marine Group, as you mentioned, oil and gas services, that's a sector that's doing it really tough at the moment. Um, All of the big players have scaled right back on their um, exploration and development work. But two others, uh, the trustee, a very prominent um, restaurant on St George's Terrace, uh, run by Scott Taylor, who has a a fantastic pedigree, um, has gone into administration. So it says something about how tough margins are or how tight margins are and you know, how, how precarious it can be operating in the hospitality business.
0: Yeah, and that was at the high end, they were at high end, weren't they? You know, it was, a, it was a, a popular venue when people had a lot of money to spend. That's right,
1: yep. In one of those lovely heritage buildings there at Brookfield Place. Yeah, uh, the still, still trading, correct? It's still it's trading. trading under administration. Yes, yes. And, and another group that is also still trading is Eastern Guruma. Now that's uh, an indigenous contractor that we've written about many times because to me, they've been a standout success story. Uh, They're a privately owned group uh, operating primarily in the East Pilbara. Um, They work for Rio, uh, Fortescue Metals Group. Uh, They've partnered with the likes of NRW Holdings. Um, They've recently set up a joint venture with Carnegie Clean Energy. Uh, They've moved into a pastoral operation. Um, and you know, 15 years of success. They've done contracts worth hundreds of millions of dollars, uh, and yet they've been squeezed as well. Yeah. Just at a time when there are a lot of indications of a pickup in activity in in the iron ore industry in the Pilbara in particular. Yeah, right. So, yeah, but look, they're still trading. They're hopeful they can recapitalize and continue the business. Um, so let's hope that turns out to be the case.
0: Yeah, right. Well, fascinating watch, and they would be our biggest or amongst our biggest Indigenous Certainly amongst the biggest Indigenous uh, contractors. Yeah, well fascinating. Now, just uh, probably remaining to an extent up in the Pilbara, Gina Reinhardt's investment in Roy Hill is starting to pay off. Yep. Hancock Prospecting, her uh, uh, private business,
1: has reported a whopping profit, 1.1 billion dollars. Mm. Um, so, quite spectacular. Um, two main drivers behind that, uh, Hancock owns 70% of the Roy Hill mine, and that's cranking up towards full-scale full production, and it's had a, a quite a long-standing 50% stake in the Hope Downs mines, which are operated by Rio Tinto. And look, the big swing factor is the iron ore price, and the iron ore price was pretty good last year, hence the big increase in profit. Interesting though, uh, Hancock prospecting the company actually made a bigger profit back in 2011, which is quite sort of telling as to how high iron ore prices Mm -hmm. were back then. Yeah. Uh, That was the crazy days. Um, The other part that came out of it, they disclosed that there's um, hundreds of millions of dollars in dividend money that's actually been put aside and is unpaid at the moment, Mm -hmm. pending the dispute between Gina Reinhardt and some of her children. So... A lot of money sort of swirling around there, uh, depending on court cases and so on. But yeah, look overall, obviously a great success story um, and a business that's doing very well and reflected in performance of some of the other listed companies like Fortescue Metals, and of course, the big guys Rio and BHP.
0: Yeah, no, brilliant. And look, it just shows that that's how how fickle you know something like commodities can be. Because I remember just on the cusp of that, the last year or so, as they were developing that Roy Hill mine, there was all sorts of doom and gloom, and people saying they'll never make any money, and they're going to enter at the wrong time, and they're got you know there's a, there's a flood of supply, and prices are going to crash. So, you know, they kind of they did hit really when the when the prices were right down, but they've come back to a level that obviously is. A, a much healthier level of profit in it. Um, now UWA has announced a massive commercial deal with a global technology player.
1: Yeah so Friday morning um, they had an announcement with Siemens. Uh, it's a 447 million dollar software grant. So through this partnership they'll be Siemens will be supplying industrial software, which UWA will be able to use across a range of areas. Um, So they're very excited by this. It's access to really sort of cutting edge software, which they think will apply across energy, engineering, shipbuilding. So they'll be training up people for a whole range of industries. Uh, Professor Eric May from UWA's Centre for Energy, um, he'll be playing a lead role in doing a lot of this. And one of the interesting things they're doing—they're developing what they're calling an LNG futures facility. So they're creating a virtual twin of a physical LNG plant. So for people to go mm. in there and do do analysis, do training, improve efficiency, and this is exciting stuff because this is you know this is the smarts that sit behind the resources sector, and you know it's a theme we talk about a lot. We don't just dig it up and ship it away. You know, we invest a huge amount in in technology and and efficiency and so on. And this should help us develop skills that we can export to the rest of the world. So very
0: exciting. Yeah, look, I I can't imagine what software you get for 447 million, but you know, I guess there are, you know, it's obviously over years and it's pretty interesting. I actually got to sit next to Uh, Professor May the other night at the uh, WA Innovation Innovator of the Year Awards, which was a fabulous night, and he was, uh, he was hinting that there was a big deal to come with something. So, uh, you know, it was great, great to see the scale of it and the size. I think he was pretty excited by what was coming. Uh, now, Mark, French headquartered Sedexo, has taken over, and if I'm right, Queensland-based Morris Corp. Why is that news in WA? These are two of the very big players up in the Pilbara. Uh,
1: they operate the mine camps and lots of other facilities up there. So all of that back-end stuff, all the catering, all the cleaning, uh, driving people around in buses, operating aerodromes, you know, all of the unglamorous um, side of operating a big mining business. So, uh, and it's a huge business. Um, Sodexo has a 10-year deal to run all of Rio's operations. That's worth $2.5 billion. And what's interesting is that they've taken over the company that runs all of Fortescue's mine camps. Uh, Morris Corp did a, a very big deal a few years back, worth $500 million. Uh, so it's interesting now that uh, this this consolidation, two of the big competitors um, now coming together as one. So, um, you know, One of the reasons that um, Sodexo got all of Rio's work on the basis that if they do everything for Rio up in the Pilbara, they can do it far more efficiently. And in fact, if people go out to Balcatta. there's an operations centre there where there's a team of people sitting at computer screens, tracking the performance of all of Sodexo's operations and all of their assets. So every bus in every mine camp up in the Pilbara gets tracked by people sitting at a operations centre in Balcatta. So once again, the parallel with the mining companies applies there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, look, it's a very substantial takeover. You know, both unlisted businesses, so we don't get the uh, the full disclosure of the finances. Um, but you know, each of them employs thousands of people, um, and a very significant shift in yeah. uh, how things are run in the Pilbara.
0: Yeah, and look, funnily enough, I was chatting to uh, guys from Velrata uh, during the week and they have a—they've been helping Sedexo out in WA in that operation to get them more efficient with their IT and dealing with the big data and, and Sodexo have been so impressed. They want to use Velrada and, and Velrada's abilities to take around its operations in, in other parts, other divisions of its business around the world. So that's kind of pretty fascinating, that, that opportunity, that having these big multinationals in WA allows <coughs> a local company to, to buy into. It's fantastic.
1: Well, I remember speaking to the people at CEDEXO earlier this year when I went out to Valcada and had a look at their operations there. And they'd talked about how years ago they had this, this the holy grail was to be able to bring together all the data around all the operations and to be able to analyse it. And at the time they thought, you know, this was as I said, they called it a holy grail. Well now
0: they can do it because technology has developed so much. Yeah. with help from people like Velrata. Yeah, and again, no doubt, they can make an acquisition of something like Morris Corp because they can probably say, hey, we can do this so much more efficiently because we've got the IT grunt behind us now. Yep, that's the way the world's going. Uh, Now, Mark, this is a fascinating story from my point of view. State government has revealed its long-awaited levy on Uber fares and more to help uh, pay out taxi plate owners. Now, what's the detail here? Okay, so there's going to be a 10% levy
1: um, on all um, services, so Uber and taxi services. Uh, the government is saying they don't believe fares should have to increase by 10% as a result, but it'll be interesting to see how that play, plays out. And the proceeds will be used to compensate um, owners of taxi plates up to $100,000. And you, know, you can come at this from two ways, it's a, it's a significant payout to the owners of those plates. But a lot of them paid something like 300,000
0: to buy them in the first place. Yeah. So they won't be happy either. No, look, I oh, look. there's just so many bad things about this. And I, and I actually don't blame the current state government for this. This is bad policy from the day that it was implemented. And I think all of us as consumers, as taxpayers, ought to be really noting any time government goes and sells to anybody the monopoly right to do anything and that includes, you know, whether they're selling a port or whatever. They allowed, there were taxi plate owners and the government owned them in the late 80s and they allowed, they privatised those plates and I can't remember what they earned per plate, it was 50,000 or whatever, it wasn't a great deal and they took the money because they, and they, and then they allowed, so we had private, private owners uh, of a right to own a taxi plate, they made no contribution to the taxi industry in any other way than owning a plate and the right to drive a taxi. And then those taxi plate owners over the years, I believe, lobbied to restrict the f- new taxi plates coming on and we had not enough taxis. L- taxis cost a lot because they weren't enough and we had really bad service. And over the years, the government's tried to then, more recent years, they've tried to issue other plates, but they never really got enough plates out in the market. And that's why we had this explosion in the price of plates. You know, now, is it fair that people paid $300,000 for a plate and now are going to get paid 100000 No, I don't believe it is. They should be compensated fully. This is a government error, but do I want to, as a taxpayer, pay out someone who paid 300000 because they were going to get a monopoly right on something? No, not really. So I'm kind of betwixt and between on that one. And do I want to pay extra on my Uber or taxi fare to pay off another bad mistake? No, I don't. I don't know what the real answer is. Go back to WA Inc. and after that, the court government put a levy on car registrations for us to all pay off for the mistakes of WA Inc. It was the court government that brought in most of this taxi plate Privatization. So, you know, maybe there should be a broader cost to the to the consumers, so all of us pay for this bad mistake. Maybe maybe taxi levy and Uber levy is an appropriate way, but whatever it is, it's not so much about the mechanism now. It's about the mistake thirty years ago. It was a bad one. There you go. (laughs) You've got (laughs) that off your chest. I've written a lot about this. I really think it's terrible, and uh, you know, I just and they've got themselves into this. It became a $200 million problem. And we all have suffered. And maybe just a little levy is the smallest way out of this. But there's going to be a lot of people who've paid a lot of money and they're going to lose it. And I think it's wrong because the government's given someone a right, whether they should or shouldn't have, they've given them a right to something and now they're taking it away and not compensating. That's actually wrong.
1: And, and it's worth, I like guess, adding there a lot of people just attribute this to the entry of Uber. But in a sense, that was the. Uh, the final step that brought
0: the whole issue to a head. Breaking point, totally. I mean this has been an issue for 15 years, a big issue. There's been monumental amounts of discussion around it, but the taxi drivers and the plate owners held us to ransom because they could go on strike. We wouldn't have any we wouldn't have any transport of that nature. Now Ubers come along and they've basically all lost their money anyway. It's a fascinating outcome. It's what competition does and that's why we should be doing everything in our power to allow competition not trying to restrict it with stupid rules like how many taxi plates are going to go out there. I mean, why is the government interfering in that? And I had a conversation with a taxi driver last night. The government's still regulating what they can charge. So I think part of the next phase is they're going to deregulate what taxis charge. So the taxi driver can negotiate a deal with you. That's going to change things too and make this a lot a lot softer and a lot better. Crazy stuff. Mm. Um, now, Mark, Katie MacDonald has uh, put together this week's special report on commercial construction. Can you give us a summary?
1: Okay. Not quite as exciting as the taxi industry. No. <laughs> well, not for <laughs> me anyway. <laughs>
0: bigger business though and way more important.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Look, Katie's done a really nice survey here uh, and looked at the different areas um, contributing to activity in commercial construction and while the office market, we all know there's a huge oversupply of office buildings in Perth and in fact just the one building still underway, that's the big new Woodside um, head office. Um, there is still activity in other areas. Um, there's six hotel projects under construction in the CBD. Um, the most recent one, uh, Jackson signed a contract to build a new Mantra hotel up the top end of Hay Street uh, which is being developed by George at uh, George owns the Holiday Inn further down the road, further down Hay Street. So, you know, he's someone that is close to the industry and while many of us scratch our heads and say, does Perth need all these new hotels? You know, he's someone in the industry. He's taken a long-term view and he sees opportunity. So that's really nice to see. So yeah, hotel construction. Um, There's still 800 apartments under construction in in the central city. So you know that's come off the boil a bit, but still substantial activity there. Um, Student housing is another area that's didn't exist. So there's there are four projects in central Perth, uh, two under construction and two more in the pipeline, uh, worth about two hundred million dollars. So you put these together, and then there's some very big retail developments, uh, Rain Square, uh, Forest Chase, um, and then um, you know some sort of civic developments. Um, Jagun Square. So collectively, still a reasonable, reasonable amount going on mm-hmm. in in commercial uh, property in the central Perth uh, area. Yeah, gotcha. So a nice wrap up from Katie, and um, all the details in the next edition of Business News.
0: Brilliant! Can't wait for that. Uh, how many surgeons and medical researchers have you seen do a reverse takeover? I'm looking forward to interviewing Fiona Wood on stage uh, later in the month about the highs and lows of taking her technology to the market. And what about creating a foundation? How challenging is it to start and operate such a thing? Why not come along to come along to our breakfast on November 28th and hear a different take on the career of our former Australian of the Year? Thank you.
1: Thanks for listening to Mark My Words with Mark Parnell and Mark Beyer from Business News. For more information, please go to businessnews.com.au forward slash podcasts And to receive these regularly, search for Business News WA in iTunes or SoundCloud.